Rough Trade is giving away a third of the first three months of the Rough Trade Club plus new music membership exclusively to 101 Part-Time Jobs listeners. Become a member of Rough Trade Club New Music and you'll receive the Rough Trade Album of the Month straight to your door every month on an exclusive vinyl pressing with bonus material. Club members have received exclusive pressings of albums from Sufjan Stevens, Sprints, The Last Dinner Party, English Teacher and Over Mono, just to name a few, this past year alone. Sign up using the promo code CLUB101POD and you'll get Rough Trade's Album of the Month, Camera Obscura's Look to the East, Look to the West for a third of the usual price. By signing up, you'll be getting Rough Trade's exclusive issue of the album on opaque purple in a gatefold sleeve plus a bonus CD containing five demos. Don't want the album of the month but still want all the benefits? Sign up to the standard tier using Club 101 Pod and you'll still get the first month free. You'll also get free shipping on all orders, 10% off at the bar and on secondhand vinyl in store and exclusive access to sold out Rough Trade events. So don't hang around. Head to roughtrade.com slash club and sign up with the code CLUB101POD. That's CLUB101POD and claim money Money off Rough Trade's album of the month today. This offer is for UK residents only. Do you play in bands? I did for the longest time. And I wish that I knew that DistroKid was a thing. I don't even think it existed back then. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keep 100% of your royalties and earnings. A million plus artists rely on DistroKid to get their music on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all the major streaming services. When you get DistroKid, you can see a DistroKid bank and withdraw your earnings. You get notified when you've earned royalties and you can withdraw via the app. And you can even check your streaming stats on Spotify Spotify and Apple. Get 30% off your first year on DistroKid by going to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. 30% off for your first year. That's not bad. We know it's a tough world out there. Why don't you make it easier for yourself? And to get 30% off that free year as an artist where you get 100% of your royalties and earnings, go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. All right, stay with me. I'll be right back after this. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. 
Welcome to 101 Part-Time Jobs with me, Giles Bitter. I'm so glad to welcome Duncan Lloyd from Maximo Park to the show. They're gearing up to release their new record, Nature Always Wins, which comes out next February. But before talking about how they made that from home during lockdown and after the lineup change and kind of throwing it to the wind with, with this new record, Duncan takes us all the way back to growing up in Derby, going to art school, trying to figure out his ways and just trying to play in a band really and having those dreams realized after working, you know it, 100 part-time jobs. Maximo Park got signed by Warp Records, signing the contract on the Millennium Bridge, sharing champagne and Nuki Brown, I love that. And how that kind of changed his whole career and how he sustained you know, his, his career as an artist since then. I'm so glad we got to talk about the new record as well that they produced from home. It's produced by Ben Allen, who's done some great stuff with Animal Collective and Deer Hunter. The singles that are already out sound amazing. This is I Don't Know What I'm Doing behind this. You can go ahead and listen to that everywhere now. That album comes out next Feb. So go and pre-order that if you haven't already. I'm so glad I got to speak to Duncan about all these things that we might not otherwise hear about. So thank you, Duncan, and thank you, Maximo Park, for, for letting this happen. East London's signature brew have been brewing music-inspired beers since 2011. They've made beers with Mastodon, Idols, Slaves, Sports Team, one this Christmas with a darkness called Bell's End. From signaturebrew.co.uk, you can get it delivered directly to your house over this Christmas. And with the voucher code 101 podcast, you can get 10% off. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you're enjoying these episodes, I ask you to share them. To, to, to try and spread the word about the show, to try and get more people listening. Because if we get more people listening, we can get more guests on the future and we can build this together. One thing that I've kind of realized in the last couple of months is that really the show is about communication and with that comes a form of community. You know, everyone's stories are different and, and they're all as interesting and as valid as each other. And that's something I really want to promote with this show. That's kind of my responsibility with that. So thank you so much for getting on board with that and listening to this show. So if you could share this episode, if you could tell your friends about it, that would be massively, massively appreciated. Here's Duncan Lloyd from Maximo Park. Hope everyone's having a great week. Go well. Cheers. Thanks so much, Duncan, for, for joining me on this. No problem, man. It's, it's good to join you. You've just announced, well, recently announced Nature Always Wins, two singles from it. How does it feel now? Well, it's good to, it's good to get it uh, kind of going, really, because, you know, obviously with this year being the way it is, there's always the doubt of, is this, should we be putting something out now? But I think that there's kind of a m- momentum, you know, when, when you kind of get a record done, you want to keep that going because you're you're almost a few steps ahead of yourself um so it kind of feels like the right thing to be doing and and even if we get out next year we'll see how next year pans out but there is now a bit of a light you know at the end of the tunnel so it feels like you know hopefully we can get things moving but fundamentally i think we just want to share some new music do you feel quite well versed after you know the all these years all these different records as as a solo artist as well do you feel quite used to the the campaign trail um in some ways yeah but i think you, you you kind of switch your mindset a little bit or you have to kind of move away from being uh from that kind of creative mindset and kind of in your own head or whether you're with the band or on your own you have to move from that 
you don't really think about the the whole outside of the you know of just making music and then when you suddenly thrust back into it everything from you know like social media to uh, you know, just having to write a new biog and stuff and photographs and all that. It's suddenly like, oh, you know, this is the kind of, that's the stuff that kind of feels, you know, more difficult to deal with in some ways. You have to get used to that again. Um, but we're, we're getting there again. You're getting back to the, you know, doing filming and stuff. And because, um, you know, sometimes music making can be quite a, almost like a private thing in, in some ways, you know. So totally, yeah. Uh, getting back <laughs> into sort of, being out there is almost like rubbing your eyes and looking at it again and going, all oh, right, there's that again. So it, it is a little bit of a shock to the system, but uh, I think at this point, I think we're all limbering up a bit again and, you know, looking forward to hopefully playing some gigs uh, and stuff like that. You know, it's a bit different this time, of course, but yeah, I think you do have to switch back into that kind of role of being, um, coming outside of yourself a bit more, you know. That transition of making a record, it you know, you say it's like a, a private thing, and I can totally, I can totally see that. Surely you have to be, you have to be doing it in in this kind of private environment to be yourself in a way, right? Do you find the transition of of having that such a private thing and then taking it to the label, PR, producers, it, 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 that that whole side of it do you are, are you quite um is that quite easy for you to do or is it is it hard for you to do i think it's it's easy if you know uh, i or well certainly mainly with the band feel confident about the songs you know i think we work on them to we don't like to just send out an idea that's kind of not quite there or uh, a demo that's not quite there we sort of like to realize it to some degree ourselves because i know with some some artists they'll just go well i've got this little thing and i and i want to work with a producer we tend to turn up with things you know pretty much fully formed um but we want to mess with the sound we want to play with the arrangement but so we'll we'll feel confident ourselves first before like presenting to anybody um and people go we want to hear stuff we want to hear stuff it's like no you can't (laughs) until until it's kind of we're Mm. feeling good about it so um I mean, it is a weird thing because I think a lot of musicians I know are quite introverted and switching to kind of having to sell yourself a bit is is an odd feeling. So there's that, there is that element of, oh yeah, I've got, you know, I've got to really kind of say how, you know, excited we are and how good it is. Whereas a lot of the time it's the involvement is, um, you know, the thrill of making it is there, but it's it's hard to kind of express that other than through the music itself. So it's it is a funny it is a funny transition but it's um in some ways yeah it's it's not necessarily difficult it's just a little bit odd <laughs> i'd say yeah you've done film compositions along the way but you've also been a painter yeah how yeah. do you do you come at those things from a from a similar angle from the way you do write songs for maximo park is is there a are there any common threads along those um there's definitely parallels um I mean, I the, the decade in exile thing. I've sort of, um, I've not done much of that for a while. So I just work under, you know, just Duncan Lloyd. So it's kind of, um, it, it, it's in in some ways that sort of stuff is, it's I guess it's more personal in a way, and I and I can feel I can be a bit more experimental. It doesn't necessarily have to, um, you know. Uh, tick certain boxes. Um, I think with Maximo Park, it's. 
um, because we're a collaboration, we we have to find this common ground, which is which is what I'm talking about more than it, you know, necessarily being tick boxes for a label or whatever. It's more like all the people you work with. Um, you know, we we're really into sort of the melody and and the thing being there's, there's there's something you find that we all tend to grab onto with certain songs. They have to have this thing. Whereas I think working independently. There, there is, you know, obviously lyrically, it's it's more personal, um, but also it's. Uh, I think musically, I could spread my ring, wings a bit further because I'm not really trying to. Uh, I guess you know, um, in 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 press on anybody else really. It's just it's a little bit of a, jir- a journey. I think like with most people, it's you. It, it it's a, a way of um, expressing you know ideas that perhaps may not get used in the band, but. But purely because um, you know they are like a, I guess that there is a, a a way more personal thing which is a bit harder to to share in a group because mm. you know uh, it's a different beast in a way. And we all need our personal things, whether you're an artist or or not an artist. We all yeah. need these things that you know are rightfully ours, you know. And that's not coming from a weird kind of me 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 way, but we all need our things to make us feel good about ourselves. And I, I, I wonder, you know, if if doing stuff under Duncan Lloyd or or, do, or or painting, and you know, and doing film compositions that that allows you to just experiment without having to worry too much, you know, about oh, are our fans really going to love this or not? You know, you, am I right in thinking that you might be able to just be like, I'm just going to go for this, see how it, see how it sounds, see how it looks like? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um... Yeah, it's you do you just make it as in the most natural way, I think, because I mean, I think I'm every day I sort of there's something sometimes I think there's maybe something wrong with me because I'm always needing to make something and and whether that's purely just for myself or just I want to see what this sounds like or what that sounds like or certainly with painting as well it's been it has been I've got back into painting more recently because I left it for a while and that has been just great just even just using different brushes and different uh makes of paint and stuff just to kind of see how it sits and see how it you know how it works and again it's it's purely for because there's this drive which I, I don't really know where that comes from but I kind of feel like I making things is kind of what makes me tick so um and some of that a lot of that stuff like with the music it just sits on the shelf or um you know there's there's hard drives full of stuff that I'm like will I ever finish that but it was more it's more like going through these processes purely just because the idea is there or or the need to make something is there or experiment is there um but there's there's no at the end of that I don't know what's going to happen with that stuff so I don't really feel like I just want to make something good or, or fulfill something that is like nagging at me in the back of my mind you know so uh, but yeah, with a band, you there is there, there is in some way perhaps more focus to um, communicate to the outside world on you know perhaps a slightly louder, clearer level. Whereas mm. I think you know it can be you, you know maybe harder to get into um, the idea of selling this solo stuff because I, I find that the whole kind of pushing it out is quite difficult. You know the the, the, the selling side of it because unless you've got a team behind you, which bands often have, they have people to kind of help you a bit with this and that. But um, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's interesting that the two sides of it are interesting. 
Do you pay much attention to what's going on in indie music, guitar music? You mentioned earlier before we started recording that you like Marika Hackman. Do you pay attention to what's going on now? Do you read, I don't know, NME or DIY magazine online? Any of that stuff? I, I delve in a bit uh, and I, I'll kind of see what's going on. And I, I, I like, I like uh, listening to music across different genres. And I've, I've got more into slightly more experimental stuff um, recently, just what I listen to. Um, I think with indie stuff, I've, you know, there's, I certainly have a soft spot for, for that. And I, you know, I recently I liked a lot of the stuff, you know, New Zealandy kind of stuff and stuff in the States that is perhaps a little bit more underground. Um, so I, I like bands like that, that are either coming through or that it's not like fully produced and stuff that that's mm. the stuff that interests me. And I tend to find that through searching, you're going down rabbit holes, really. I tend to, I'll go on YouTube or I'll maybe Spotify or whatever. And I'll just go and search up and like, what other bands are they linked to? What, what was the area they came from and what's happening there? You know, so I think that's how I, I tend to, discover music that way or or just through records friends recommend or i might even see something on instagram and go that looks interesting i'll check that out you know um so i i do i do for modern stuff i i do check out what's going on but i it's not you know my main my main interest is just finding interesting stuff whether it's from now or whether it's from way back you know it's sort of if it catches my eye or ear, I'm like, I'll, I'll, I'll find out about the thing, you know. Talking about lo-fi stuff, that there's so much of it come over the last few years. And oh, something's going on outside. So much of that lo-fi stuff has come out in the last few years. And you can see why, you know, with GarageBand and just, you know, affordable USB mixing desks and the lot. Does that uh, does that have any effects of the way that you look at the production of records that you're making now? Does that inspire you or... Do you have any thoughts on that when you're making a record in the studio? Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, the, the our whole beginning, certainly my beginning, I went I went to the Confetti College in in Nottingham, the People's College. I, I learned how to uh, sound engineer there, so I learned how to record um, kind of the start, the end of the '90s, start of the '90s. I sort of uh, I wanted to learn how to record, so so that sort of DIY making it yourself stuff has always been. It's basically the roots of our group in terms of you know recording wise and on this record I had to kind of uh bring out a lot of those uh skills just to be able to record it because we had to do it in isolation so a lot of the the bass and keyboard parts and guitar stuff I had to record either at home you know through through USB on onto Pro Tools um um or you know sometimes I use some tapey bits and bobs and and just to get certain sounds going but um I think the fact that it's the norm now is it's interesting because I think when I started and you know buying a sound card was the first thing to do after having a, a Tascam, you know, four track or whatever. Mm, then yeah. just to be and you know obviously the I know Paul he records on GarageBand a lot, um, but yeah, I, I, I kind of learned how to use Pro Tools fairly early on because I did this, um, I did this course. I was I was a bit lost when I started doing this course at Confetti and. Um, I'd, I'd been a fine art student before that, and I, I just thought I need some kind of skill, you know. Um, so, yeah, despite all the student debt, I ended up learning that sort of stuff. Um, and it's just been really useful ever since. It's kind of um, – so when I do listen to stuff now and I hear people have done it at home, that's like – that's great because I, I think 
a studio album is is very different and it's amazing to use all these you know compressors and tube stuff and all that expensive gear and just beautiful desks and things and and that totally has its its value but i think the fact that anybody could make a record um and it's affordable to make a record Mm. i think that is positive because uh anyone making music or who's creative needs some kind of outlet and that allows you to do that you know in the late 90s early 2000s what what was your life like around then where was there that kind of infrastructure in education higher education i mean where you could survive doing that uh, well i'd say no it <laughs> will no and yes i think initially i'd, I'd left art i went to northumbria university i'd left art college with a lot of um student debt but I, I think I was I caught the last year of the uh, the grants in my second year so I, I had a bit of help from grants but then it was kind of full student loan and I was in quite a lot of debt um, I did loads of odd jobs I did a lot of uh, I've done all sorts of different kind of jobs um, but by the time I got to realize okay I want to do some sound engineering I, I want to do a two-year course um, I had to, I remember having to get the bus from Derby. I was living in Derby at the time. That's where I'm originally from. And I, because I'd moved back there from Newcastle and I'd get this bus called the Red Arrow across to Nottingham. And I was, I was paying for it on a credit card because <laughs> I didn't have any cash. And then a friend of mine, he was like, you can't pay bus fare on a credit card. You know, you've got to, <laughs> you've got to get some help. He said, there's this hardship fund. So I, I got the hardship fund luckily. And that, that helped me get through the course, which was two years it was a brilliant course and I, I just learned so much. So I, I kind of found out through, you know, a friend of mine that I could get this, this money to help me. Uh, and then I did, I did, uh, you know, waiting jobs. I was a pot washer that kind of helped me through college um, and just to pay the rent really, you know? So, um, and I guess I've always had these part-time jobs to pay for, you know, just wherever I was living and just to feed uh, myself or whatever. And it would be okay the other the rest of my time would be taken up by uh either making music or painting so there were always like jobs that were a little bit like a means to an end in a way just to just to afford to to do what i really wanted to do you know um and maximo park started in the background of that did it yeah yeah maximo park started it was just four of us at first um and you know we was we were we were a bit of a nervous bunch and we, you know, we, we got into things like there was a thing called diesel new music, which was in London, uh, which we went down for and, and we managed to trash a hire van on the way down. Um, how, did you, how did that happen? Oh man, we got to London and, uh, I won't say who somebody parked the bus and there used to be these big kind of weird bell shaped bollards. Yeah. Yeah. Know? And that got driven over and just crushed the entire side of the bus so we're a bit shaky played the gig um drove back and then there was this massive bill to pay so that was a bit of a downer but i think as well we there was little things like in the city in manchester we played but we weren't you know this was before paul had joined and i think we felt you know sort of artists just didn't feel quite comfortable uh being a singer and I, i was similar at that point i just felt that you know we sort of shared duties between it was between arches me and lucas so that was when we decided to get a singer, but <clears throat> it had started, you know, the, the, the ball was rolling and, um, but it was pretty eclectic. Um, I think we were just developing a kind of a sound at that point. And then it all sort of came together at the right point, I guess, when, 
you know, Tom's friend Paul came along and, and started singing for us. And there was that period of time where, I mean, it was in that kind of period of time where if you had an A&R person at your show, then that, that's, a, that's a step. Yeah, yeah. I remember when we went back to In the City in Manchester with, 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 um, fully formed with Paul, there was, yeah, the guy who signed Radiohead was there and, you know, there was various people and it was just like, wow, these kind of industry people that you are just kind of imaginary figures, you know, A&R people, you know, do they ever come to Newcastle? You know, it was, it was, it was weird and it was, they were there and chatting to us and they were like, we think you've got something, blah, blah, blah. And and then you wouldn't, we didn't really hear that much, but I think it, it they probably, it probably helped spread the word a bit, certainly um, perhaps in London. And then it was only really until we pressed up our first seven inch single, which a, which a friend of ours helped kind of fund. Um, and Lucas took it to London and, and took it into Rough Trade. Um, it was only really then that, you know, they, they made it a single of the week and it was in the window. And wow. then we started getting some emails, you know, like Warp Records and um, I think Polyphony, MI, people like that um, got in touch. And it was a, it was just quite surreal, you know, just through this this single of the week thing in, in, in Rough Trade. So, but it was, that, that was really buzzing at that point. We were just getting pretty excited that people were getting it, you know. Did you have this kind of uh, realization that you had to start being? Because I, I, you know, can completely imagine amongst all of that excitement, there has to be one of you or, or, or a part of you that thinks, okay, let's be smart about this. Let's try and organize ourselves that we do this in the best way we can. Yeah, I, I think that that probably came when, when Paul first joined. I think we agreed that, you know, despite us, you know, having a few just minor kind of successes in our little world that we would when we next did a show we would be we wanted to be the best band in Newcastle first of all and it was like well that's we need to be super tight we need to practice loads and we just need to make our songs like really strong you know so the focus was there and we just hung out as a little you know gang of friends we'd go out a lot together and you know go clubbing and you, you would listen to everything that was going on at the time um, and a lot of our musical tastes were tying up together. We used to go down to a market called the Keyside Market on Sunday. You could get really cheap vinyl down there. So we would just get everything from the fall to uh, like Flaming Lips or whatever we could find. You know, we would pick up or old wire records, mm. uh, like Chairs Missing, things like that. And we would just kind of saturate ourselves in that stuff. And then um and yeah captain beefheart was another big one you know the sort of yeah great i always thought that the more kind of people used to say kind of post-punk but it was really more beefhearty the kind of angular stuff was was more from from that but it, yeah all of that we listened to and then we just rehearsed a lot um did our part-time jobs met up on tuesday nights and then at the weekend and then we would go out and then jam after we came back out and all that sort of stuff so, it, uh, you know, we were like, we won't do any gigs until this thing feels like it's just super strong. And then we started booking some shows. And I think, um, you know, immediately people were like, all oh, right, there's something going on with them, you know. So, and I think the fact that each show, it would grow in numbers, people coming. And we played we played a, a gig at Red Spa, which is at North, Northumbria University. And that was that was a big moment because it just like the place was filled, you know, it was rammed, and it was like, oh, okay, you know, this is 
people are getting it and we're, we're, we're on the right kind of path here. So I think we'd built that up. So we were ready to start touring around and just going around the country playing places, you know. Did you know, I mean, looking back now, do you, did you think you knew at the time that you were in the right place at the right time? It felt like, it definitely felt like it was becoming more exciting, certainly for, I guess, guitar stuff, because I guess in the early noughties, though, I guess, yeah, I guess with the White Stripes and the Strokes coming over and just becoming really popular, it did open the door for bands that had been kind of toiling away and trying stuff. Um, You realise that, oh, okay, you know, this kind of more energetic, energetic, guitar stuff is becoming kind of popular um and obviously before it got perhaps too saturated there was only really a handful of bands that you'd heard of that were making albums at the same time or just put theirs out before ours so they felt like a a bit of a generational shift um and a lot of the influences felt similar you know across Mm. across our generation i guess whether it's franz Ferdinand or block party or or sort of our stuff and future heads and stuff we all I think there was a sensibility, there was a DIY sort of thing. We all came through that. So there was definitely a, a feeling that something was happening. Um, and, you know, certainly when we went to London, just how exciting it was in London and Manchester and Glasgow, it was just, everyone just seemed really up, you know. It's like they wanted something new and something to happen. And I think before that, maybe it was a little bit, you know, like some of the chart stuff, the, a lot of acoustic guitar slow ballads and sort of nice kind of songs it it didn't really reflect i think how a lot of us felt there was a bit more desperation uh, hence the energy you know i guess of, of that so yeah i guess i guess there was a feeling certainly um during that time there's so many bands now like shame sports team working men's club idols are obviously huge i wonder if it's a cyclical thing because those bands you know, some of those bands have cited Wire as an influence, certainly the full, you know, this kind of angular post-punk rock, whatever you want to call it. Is it, do you think it's cyclical? Yeah, uh, possibly, yeah, because you, 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 it's like when you look at like late 80s, early 90s music, you know, that was a thing. And then, um, I mean, I remember that being some of the stuff I first got into when I was really young, you know, whether it be some of the shoegazy stuff or some of like Nirvana and stuff like that that sort of happened and then later on you sort of mid to late nights is sort of obviously the brit pop stuff there was and the the influence is there it's like uh, elastica were influenced by wire for example you know and yeah you wouldn't think that would you yeah yeah it's it, it's uh yeah it's funny yeah? and i don't know there's lots of and then i think as well when the start of the noughties i mean we got into a band called life without buildings uh which we just all loved that band and it was really kind of interesting, slightly wiry, a little bit uh, post-rock. Um, and then of course, like a band like Electrolane, we heard them and just, they were like one of our favorite bands of the noughties and they supported us on the show once. And I still, you know, they're still massively underrated, but they were, again, it was a band that was, there was a bit of a new wavy element. And I think there's that, there's, you know, the essence of punk, in whatever way, whether you're playing more classic punk or more, whether it's punk in your mind or whatever, it's you know yeah. you're doing it yourself, and you're you're just wanting to escape whatever it is you're from, and you're wanting to kind of talk for your own generation in a way. Or it, but on first point, it's just make it's just communicating. You want to communicate with whoever comes to see you, 
Um, and I think, yeah, the, there is definitely a cycle you can kind of see as it bounces along uh, every few years. And then oh, it's the same with electronic music, I guess. Um, but electronic music is like there's a there's this you know it's it's constant now. It's it's mainstream and you know synths and synth, whatever it is that you make your music on, and including you know we use a lot of synths as well. But it, it's it's there. But it, yeah, I guess the thing with guitar because it's kind of quite you know it is stylized. So I I certainly looked at America. American bands were a big influence. You know, I mean I I was big fan of Sonic Youth and uh, I loved when all that stuff first came over, you know, when Nirvana was just really starting out. And those bands loved coming to England or, you know, so you read about in interviews. Yeah, I, I guess because our history, certainly when you go over there and you hear so much English music in bars or at clubs, mm, and, you know, yeah. whether it's Depeche Mode or Joy Division or New Order, um, there's like so much British music is played in shops and things. You're like, it's everywhere. You said, you, I realised last time I went, I was like, there's hardly... You know, there might be a little bit of kind of Americana country stuff, but there's a lot of British stuff. Um, and we were chatting to Ben Allen, who did the new album about that. And he's like, yeah, there's kind of this golden period that a lot of Americans reference. And it's, it is a lot of that stuff kind of, I guess, in the, I suppose, late 70s and 80s and, the, you know, everything from The Cure and to stuff that's a little bit new wave, even edging towards new romantic kind of stuff that is kind of seems to fascinate, I guess, uh, people over there. And for us, we, you know, when Nirvana came across and all, all the all the bands that came with that, whether, uh, you know, it'd be kind of the heavier stuff or Nine Inch Nails or whether mm. it be the melodic, like, I mean, I was into the Lemonheads and stuff because of the, yeah, massively. just the pop element, you know, that and I remember seeing, watching The Word, you know, there was a program called The Word and I was kind of, when I was too young to go out, I just used to watch all the bands like every week on that. And it was like, yes, this is just the best thing on TV. And and it was kind of trash TV, you know, it was like uh, <laughs> somebody drinking a pint of bile and, and you know, and somebody, it's just really weird stuff. And then there was obviously all the rave stuff mm. and the rave stuff and the dance stuff. And going out during that time, everybody just seemed to get on. You know, you could go to, an indie club or a rock club, or you could go down to a dance club or techno stuff. And there was a real cross pollination, you know, during yeah. that time. And yeah, people used to just really hang out a lot. And I guess this is pre-internet. So going out was the main way of seeing everybody. And it was, you know, there was definitely something that connected everybody together at the end of the week and everybody being together and, you know, celebrating and stuff. So yeah, there's, there's, it's it's kind of yeah. When you look back, you start really thinking about it and go, oh yeah, you know that's that's what was happening then. But um, I just missed out on the sort of days of the indie nights. I was yeah, just a yeah. bit too young for that. Yeah, yeah. It's they were they were. I think yeah. It's from where we sort of came from and our influences, and certainly that time period. I mean, I remember Britpop at one point. It just felt really bloated at one point, and I guess you could say the same. After a while, you know, certainly once the Arctic Monkeys had become big and then there was just so much stuff that it felt like it was like a saturation to a point where the kind of tastemakers were getting a bit lot. You know, you couldn't really, it needs something fresh needed to happen. Mm. And and I guess in some ways we never stopped just doing our thing. We always felt slightly outside of it. Maybe because the demographic where we are, you know, it's we do feel a little bit like we're not 
Newcastle isn't like Manchester. It's not like uh, London, or you know, it's closer to Glasgow, but it's 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 self-contained, and you know, musicians really have to kind of help each other out, and there's this kind of camaraderie. But there's also this slight isolation thing where you just feel like, well, we'll just go back to just getting on with what we do, and then. Mm go and face everything else later on so but yeah i think yeah we were it was it was a great time but i think since then it's with things changing it's been fascinating just even just surviving as a band you know it's the graft you kind of have to put in in some ways is part of the survival (laughs) of it um but still really caring about the music and the songs you know and, and that communication between us and people who want to come and see us you know it's uh it's still kind of really important i guess i think anyone can you know be forgiven for seeing it for being a band and seeing a blueprint of something that's going well for a group of bands and then being attracted to that trying to you know maybe subconsciously kind of shape yourself to kind of help you know fit your band into that kind of circle so in that period of time of of arctic monkeys and block party did you ever, you know, did you were you ever at risk of doing that to yourselves a little bit, you know, knowingly or not? Um, I th- I think we already once we started. I think obviously we got signed just after a few bands that of our generation that kind of had a sound that was similar. We were certainly we were, you know, it was classically you kind of get lumped in a bit, which which is fine because that happens every time. But I think it's always going to happen in rock journalism, right? Yeah, that's it, and and I guess people want to you know, there's a movement, there's a scene, there's something happening, you know, so that's, that's why it's exciting. Everybody needs to go and see this stuff, you know, so it, it, it makes sense in journalism completely. And, you know, you, you understand that. And it's, um, I think, I think like it's going back to when we decided that what we were going to do, that we were going to be strong as a group, we were going to sound tight and we had our songs down before we'd even heard of, you know, say Black Party or even Franz and stuff. We, we were already, you know, two thirds uh perhaps more of our album was written already so it's we came out you know slightly after but we'd already formed you know who we were going to be so i think Mm. that has never really changed we've been very strong-willed about who we are because i think we needed to be we needed to be the different band from newcastle we had to you know the like even the secondhand suits that we would get or suit jackets and yeah we didn't want to look kind of Britpop indie we didn't want to look like that we wanted to say you know we wanted to look a bit sharper the music felt sharper and we wanted it to be you know really in people's faces at first and and but them to feel it to there's this there's always been an element of the melancholy and the just the connection of kind of it, we wanted it to be heartfelt as well you know it, it had to be about life and it had to be about things we had witnessed it had to be real you know and that that i think is one of the keys that's carried us through is that the songs you know are about real things and a lot about paul's life and um you know we that there are they're, they are i guess they're honest in that way it's not so mm. that 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 always led us through whatever's happening that identity and and that sort of the need just to kind of communicate in our own way has always been there and it's not you know although we got lumped in or we at one point or we were part of some early thing that was exciting and then afterwards are we part of that we part of this we just it didn't matter you kind of I think you lose focus if you start worrying about that so it's interesting you talk about the lyrics because I I think that you see you hear that as a fan I think 
you know, yeah. you can hear when someone's chatting bullshit, basically, can't you? Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, it's like baby this and that, uh, mm. or you know, let's go out and get messed up, whatever. You know, it's it's you. That's fine when you're kind of fourteen or fifteen, and you, you know, and you're just learning to write, and you just want to f- figure it out. But I think, yeah, we've never really kind of. Um, we've never done that it's 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 i think it was from the word go it's like let's make this stuff mean something you know that mm, yeah make it, make it um i think we you know we were all doing going back to doing kind of dead-end jobs and it was that it the reality of are we going to get out of this are we going to ever pay our debts off <laughs> are we, it was all that kind of there was a pressure just to just especially in your 20s i think you feel it certainly in your mid-20s what am I going to do? Where am I going to go? You know, and I'm, I really want to do this. I want to be in a band and, you know, I want to, the, we, we care about the music and stuff, but it's, you know, who knows if that's ever going to happen, but all we can do is do the best, you know, we can do and keep working, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, doing pot washing or, I mean, I, I was a care worker for a while. All, all these different jobs were, were there just keeping me ticking along. Um, and you know the other guys too. They, to a degree, they had their, their, you know, people worked in call centers and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, it was, yeah. I'm rambling now, but yeah, you know what I mean. No, I love it. You're bringing it back to the to the name of the podcast. I was yeah, to, I'm going to have to thank you later for doing that because I'm awful at doing it myself. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because last night I was like, oh, I must think of the jobs I've done, and I sort of thought, God, what have I done? And I, I started trying to think of a list of them just in case, you know, like. I, I was just thinking, okay, I've been a car valet. I used to clean chicken ovens. I did chicken ovens? Yeah, oh, man. It's like mopping chicken grease <laughs> on the floor. It's just, it's, it's, you can't win. It's, you pour water wow. on it and it just gets worse. And yeah, stuff like, you know, doing, being a charity fundraiser, doing order picking in a warehouse, all that sort of stuff. And charity street fundraising is, is a, a weird one because you realize, I mean, maybe you had a different experience. I certainly realized, why am I working here paying for the office space of this charity and all the people that work in it and yeah. not actually what the charity's designed for? Yeah, yeah, it's pretty thankless. And it's like being yeah, stuck out there, certainly in, when it got to winter. Just I remember going out to, I think it was Siam, which is, you know, in the, the northeast by the coast and just people walking past and looking at you like you're absolutely, you know, you just, you don't know what you're doing, why you're there. And you can tell it's like, I'm sorry, mate, you know, and it'd be, it'd be amazing though, the people who would sign up, um, you know, you can't have any kind of um, assumptions about who would sign up, but that you're right. You do feel like, is this the right thing to be doing? Is this the right way? I mean, you don't really see it so much now, you know, but there was a real boom, you know, of that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've, I've got to feel guilty. I, I feel guilty for saying that, especially having been there myself. But when you see someone charity street fundraising, it like strips them of all their respectability, doesn't it? Not not in a way that I don't respect that person, but more in the sense that like I I do everything to not make eye contact. I pretend <laughs> they're not there. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you yeah, kind yeah. of avoid them without letting them know that you're avoiding them. That's right. It's because you've been on the other side of it, so you know. That, oh, they're gonna they're not gonna look at me and I have to stare at them and then <laughs> well the problem I remember thinking, I'm, I'm just a bit too chill I just end up kind of daydreaming about stuff or you know it's like you get a call every hour an hour mm. like team leader 
right, what have you got? The boss is calling. And we just end up signing each other up um, <laughs> and then cancelling a month later just to, just to try and get the numbers up because like, we're not going to get any commission here or any money here, you know. And yeah. But then you're thinking about the charity and, it's, you know, some of them are really it's essential stuff, but you're just like, this is a weird way uh, to make money. But, I mean, the three of us got fired in the end because we weren't making enough. And then well, I ended up doing uh, being a care worker for um, – autistic lads so you know take them out on day trips and stuff like that 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 was kind of rewarding that was just before the band took off you know so there was i think um and and even like just selling sort of paintings uh, the odd painting here and there would help um but uh, you know there was little things and and obviously the doll (laughs) we're all on the doll at some point uh, in between in between jobs but yeah it was um i always think that goes hand in hand because the jobs like even waiting, I remember working with just people from all walks of life and it really helps you, especially when you're younger, when you're in your early twenties, you you really start seeing all walks of life and how mm. to adapt to people from, you know, every every different background, but also you the empathy just for one another because you're you're working together and it's you're all trying to just survive. You know, I think there's that kind of mentality it, it kind of stays with you, especially, and it's and it goes into being in a group. There's that, there's a bit you create a survival instinct, you know. Even if your characters sometimes clash, or they might um, be sometimes, you know, there's different ideas. You still have this kind of respect, and like we're still working together, and we can ultimately we're we're trying to kind of um, do something we love and make it work, you know. Did you meet anyone at any of those jobs that really? stuck with you i mean and you know working with autistic kids that must have been a we watched the peanut butter falcon movie last night and it's really really great and me and my partner were just talking about how when you work with someone uh, with disabilities uh, or you're friends with them or their family member you know you have fun in this different sense you know there's a there is a different way of looking at the world it's it is true it's true i mean my my younger sister um she had a lot of uh she had a lot of um, problems and stuff, and she actually has to live in a home. And I think because I w- I've always had that, there's that one of the reasons I think I got the job because I understood, you know, that when you go out, when we used to go on holiday and stuff, and she would, you know, make noises that would kind of alarm people or they would, sort of, you know, get quite worried what's what's going on. But it was just her just making a noise, or, you know, she's just like, oh, I'm outside, I'm going to shout, you know. Uh, and, in some ways, I think because maybe as well it was late 80s or whatever, when I was a kid, it was it was quite difficult because I think people would judge people with disabilities at, at points. And that, that really, you know, I, I think for anybody who was slightly outside of what was considered normal, I was always feeling empathy towards because it's like, don't judge people who aren't, you know, perhaps don't fit the normal things because it's 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 not you know it's it's way broader than that and i think i think that always stayed with me and I, certainly when i worked with um there's a couple of brilliant lads i were you know looking after and uh, just we go on day trips and, and one lad was just just amazing with stuff like numbers and he, he would yeah. the first thing he'd ask is what your birthday was and he'd tell you what day you were born on like like that it was amazing and um but his kind of view of the world and what he found interesting um was was fascinating and he there was we would go into a we would go into like a we would buy stotties these big kind of bread kind of cakes for for his mum and he would he kind of 
found it really funny to kind of scare old women by shouting <laughs> Marvel characters are going to get them like uh, whatever it'd be like <laughs> Green Goblin's going to get you and the, the, <laughs> these grannies were like what's going on with this lad and uh, yeah, bless him you know it, it was just his kind of thing and but then yeah. we'd, we'd go to the old folks home and play dominoes and with the, with the old uh, uh, the old folk there and he would make uh, you know cups of tea and he was just really sweet with them you know and they were just like he's great he's brilliant and mm. And there was another lad, you know, uh, I worked with who he was more severely autistic, but we he would walk and walk and walk, and I just got so fit looking after him because we would we would just walk down to Newcastle. We used to get the bus to Durham, and yet seeing again seeing the world through his eyes, you know, was it is fascinating, and and it's also they're people and they have that you can see they're experiencing things in a different way. And that's, mm. it's, it is, it's, it is truly eye opening, but it's also, it's rewarding just to be there for them, you know? Um, so that I remember that was one of my sort of best jobs before I, I was quite sad to leave that, but I was also, you know, once getting signed, I was like, I can pay off my student loan. Finally, <laughs> yeah. like more than anything, getting an advance, actually having money in the bank was like, yes, you know, um, but yeah, it's true though that that experience again it it just it does help kind of shape certainly my outlook and I think all all of those little jobs where I mean I remember Car Valley and spray, like spraying off hard wax of you know new cars are coming in you have you used to have to spray it with kerosene to get all the you know all the kind of protective layer off new cars and just being going in just this chemical would just be you know for weeks I'd just be a little bit messed up from breathing kerosene and then and then i'd valet the inside and if you missed a bit you had to do it again if it wasn't perfectly shiny yeah. it's kind of brutal in a way but i remember that again it this it kind of helped i guess character and stuff it helped me just um yeah it was a dose of reality you know these jobs are they they just help i, I guess so now you know this this is kind of a bit of a dream just to still be able to make music it's still like I'm grateful for it, you know, I guess. How did you take it then after after all those years kind of, you know, making bits and bobs of of cash here and there? How did you personally take it when you got signed? You know, that that first year. Oh, it, yeah, it, it was a bit like it was like we'd been released. It was just it was just the best time. I think we all of us were buzzing and we we signed a record deal with Warp. Uh so Steve Beckett, head of Warp, he came up to Newcastle. We'd we'd met him in London. Um, before we met a few a few labels and they were the ones who were going to let us have the most creative freedom you know so it was it wasn't as the the biggest money but that didn't matter it was like will they let us make the record how we want to um because a few labels were like do this do that um we want you to change the coast is always changing so that intro isn't there and you cut you get to the chorus quicker and we're like nah we're not we're not going to do that um so so i think when when he came up and we'd met him in London. He said, I want to sign you. Um, we're like, we want to sign with Warp because although it felt strange as a label, they were trying to do, you know, more sort of, I guess, guitar groups and stuff. Um, we, we signed the, the deal on the Millennium Bridge in the middle of the bridge and we had a bottle of champagne <laughs> and a bottle of Newcastle Brown and we just mixed the two in this, these glasses and then we all just necked it and it was like, this, this, is, our, this is our drink. No so, way. Wouldn't advise it. <laughs> but
and that was us and it felt I suddenly I suddenly felt it's going to be all right I've not got this looming debt which I mean it was quite a lot by that point and I I think that was one of my main worries is was that but then it was like wow we actually get to try this we actually get to make a record uh, in a studio and you know work with Paul Epworth and Al O'Connell who was the engineer it was it was just I think from then and arriving at East Coast Studios in London was like this is happening and these songs are good you know we were like we have written some good ones we just want to we just want to get that across on a record so I think that that was like this we were, we were up and running and it was it suddenly things opened up and it, it was kind of positive and I think even if that hadn't happened, I probably, I mean, I chat about Paul with this sometimes, we would still be making music, even if we hadn't met each other, I'd still probably be doing, you know, demos or mm. putting things on Bandcamp, you know, in, in the same way I kind of do with solo stuff. I, that's, that's still, I just want to make stuff and I want to try stuff. It's still there. And then it works alongside the band, which is, which is a different thing. It's, um, but it, it, it was great that we, we had that break, but also, that just people um, came to the shows and play, you know, playing little packed out gigs everywhere was just mm. at that point was 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 great. What you said there about you know making your own, you know, all members of the band or, or or you and Paul at least making stuff on the side for yourselves or whatever it may be. I imagine quite a lot of members of bands feel like they shouldn't or can't, which you know I think is bullshit. And I think that's really nice that you have that freedom you know that that outlook on on that stuff yeah yeah i i mean i i think some some people around us probably prefer if we wouldn't <laughs> and that we just did maximo park um i think some people yeah it, it's difficult because and i understand that i understand that but i think uh, i think well for me like what you know we made a certain trigger and then our earthly pleasures and then I was kind of writing a lot of stuff and I'd written this album, Seeing Double, which was my own album. So it was kind of the third album I did for Warp was actually my own album. And at the time, I didn't even think that it would be an issue or a problem. And I just gave it to Steve and he was like, oh, this is great, Dunk. I'll put this out. Excellent. Yeah, this is, you know, he goes, God, another another set of bangers. <laughs> he was like a brilliant, brilliant guy from Sheffield, like just just enthusiastic about everything you know it was, it was great in that way and but I think as well I, I I did suddenly think um you know we were sat around a table figuring out how to put it out uh, and this was before Maximo's third album and I could sense a little bit of dissatisfaction maybe from from management I'm sure they would admit it <laughs> but I think they were just worried they were probably worried oh I'm off I'm gonna go off and do this but I was like no this is just another part of who I am and what I do and it's not I'm not threatening anything. I'm not trying to rock the boat. It's just mm. when you meet music, that's what musicians do. And it's sometimes trying to explain that they're, they're not just one thing. They, they, they will tend to go off. And I, and I think it's a shame that there, if there are people in bands that want to try something and are worried about upsetting the other members, it's like, even if you just talk to them and say, I'm, you know, I'm with you and we're going to do this, but I do want to try other things because um, you know, I just got these ideas that I I can't fully realize unless I just go out and try them. Mm. And in the in the long run, that helps the band because because of the freedom, certainly in our band, that say me and Paul have. And I mean Tom as well. You know, he works with other people. Tom the drummer. Um, 
you know, he goes off and does stuff, which, you know, he's drummed with loads of people. He's a great drummer. So he's and arranging, you know, Tom's got just a brilliant mind for arranging. So that's kind of anyone who kind of works either with us or if we work on our own, we always feel that that strengthens us when we get back together. It's like, well, I've been through that and that's been, you know, something else. And now I feel I'm kind of fresh again. I'm ready. Let's get together. Let's try try something new. Um, and this, you know, this album felt very much like that. We we had about four years in between, really. Um, yeah. But me, meeting Ben Allen as well, he was like, right, I want 40 songs off you guys. And we were like, okay. <laughs> four, 4-0. Yeah. Yeah. And we were like, that's a bit of a challenge, but I like that. That's, okay. Fair enough. You know, and and some were, you know, they were a minute long and some were six minutes long. Um, and, uh, you know, now, now it's the three, three of us really. Um, we're making the record because Lucas, you know, left our keyboardist left to live in Australia. He got married to an Australian and moved out to Melbourne. Um, was that a turning point when that happened? It, it was a bit, I mean, you know, we'd been together a long time as a group and we will, it, it, it ended on very good terms and it, it's just, I think it's great that, you know, he's, he's decided to, to do what he's doing. And I think, I think for us, we could even we could have taken it as a knock, but I think we took it as right. Okay, it's a, a new challenge, and in some way, there is a space that has opened, and it has allowed the music to be more spacious in a way. And um, it's been fascinating for me as well, I guess, in some ways, to write, be able to write on the piano, um, because we didn't want to lose the kind of keyboardy side, the synth side of the band. Mm. We, so we made a point. I was like, right, I will write songs on synths and pianos, just because there is a sound there and I think there's certainly fans of ours like that sort of side as well and what you said about being angular to me a lot of that synth stuff is is angular yeah and and a lot of that is Lucas you know he's like you know his rhythms were like just like well you know sort of trendy robot-y sort of stuff and sometimes you'd be like man just chill out on the this is meant to be a this is a love song. What you're on about? You know? Yeah, yeah. He's like, but you know, like, but sometimes that would be the element that would make it stand out. So you definitely, yeah, yeah. So you kind of respected it, and and again, you got to go through all these different sounds and try this stuff out to find what's right for the song. And um, yeah, so so yeah, in some way that definitely, I think that angular reference comes from that. But um, yeah, I mean, I think with the new stuff, it it has felt, and we invited Ben Allen in as a also as a musician. We said, you know, if you want to play, we want you to kind of join. He's like, brilliant, mm. oh, this is great, man. And he came over for for to Newcastle for a day, and we we got some stuff down, and you know, we shared some bass duties and keyboard duties, and and he did some quick editing and stuff. Um, that and must we, help knowing that he's invested as well. I, I've made records where producers have played instruments in it certainly helps in a number of ways of them just being invested in it yeah exactly yeah it's like you're inviting them in and saying look we we want it to be like open and creative it's not this stuff isn't precious this stuff needs to be messed around with it needs to find its own thing that's you know perhaps away from the demo and sometimes you find yourself going back to the vibe of the demo whatever like I think many people find that where sometimes there's something captured there but having him invited in to uh we knew as well like his production obviously being fans of stuff like deer hunter and animal collective and even like a lot of his hip his early hip-hop production he had so many amazing stories about working with 
you know, hip hop artists and waiting there all day and they'll be playing Halo, you know, during the day on, on the PlayStation or whatever, waiting for uh, the artist to turn up and it'd be two in the morning and there'd just be a whole crowd turn up <laughs> and there'd be this party in the, you know, and everybody just, that was, that was the time to make kind of hip hop a lot of the time where, where he lived. And, um, you know, it was only later that he branched out into sort of guitar stuff, but that he has those, that's those sensibilities, certainly with synths and the subby kind of beats and stuff that are added to, you know, the kit. There's, there's loads of cool stuff that he does. Um, and that's a great thing working with producers I found over the years, the tips you pick up, you know, the, the tricks that you pick up through and you think they've just seen so many different artists and they pick up tricks from artists and vice mm. versa. And, and, you know, we would have uh, calls, uh, zoom calls about, you know, how to make a bass sound really good, you know, cause I, I love geeking out on that sort of stuff. So we would be there going, you know, let's, let's get, let's, let's find out. And, you know, a lot of it is down to the player and, but it's, you can do this and you can do that. And he's in Atlanta. So we, we were meant to go to Atlanta, but that got um, obviously knocked on the head because of lockdown. So, yeah, it was um, it was fascinating, kind of doing it across. You know, we'd have to wait till he got up, but it meant that we could, I could do parts in the morning, and then he would be awake, and I could send him stuff. It, it was weird. It was weird not sharing it first with the band. Sometimes, you know, although the songs were there, there'd be all these extra parts, and Tom and Paul would hear them later, and I think they were like, well, "What's that? Where's that from?" <laughs> And it was fun. It was like it was fun to kind of surprise them, but also I think Ben would do the same. He just he would come up with synth parts, and then Annie, who was the engineer, she she's just an amazing violin player, and she just said, "Do you mind if I try something on this track?" Brilliant. The track or part partly of my making, and sort of made this slightly weird sounding synth thing, which she then kind of doubled with a violin, and it's just. It's almost got a strange kind of maybe Led Zeppelin houses of the holy thing. Cool, cool. It's Is like, she in England, America? She's in America, so she's uh, Ben's engineer. Uh, so um, yeah, so, so I, they were I, doing it in their studio. Yeah, yeah. So they would be like rerouting what you'd send to them through. Yeah, exactly. They would reamp. So I would I would play say through my amp, or I would use like a simulator or whatever. And a DI, so a direct signal. So, mm. you know, they would just have the guitar as the guitar sounds without being plugged in. And for anyone, you know, just because <laughs> a DI, watch that. Um, yeah, and then, yeah. and they feed that back through their amps in Atlanta. And, you know, so it would go through some nice, lovely vintage stuff and they would use um, the microphones there. Um, and, you know, that, that the lo- loads of stuff like the bass parts would get reamped, the guitar stuff. And yeah, then, cool. I would do a lot of keyboards. He wanted a lot of MIDI, so sometimes he would use whatever I played. If it was something like a, a Juno or like I've got this little Yamaha thing, which you know I can't do MIDI with, I I, um, I would just give him those parts and they, he would use them. Um, and then, but a lot of the MIDI stuff again, he would either combine, you know, combination of sounds or mess with mess with the MIDI or mess with the sound and it was it was great just to have that kind of open communication and again it was not let's not be too sacred or too picky we i think one one thing we said from the start is like that's great because you don't want to feel like you're treading on anyone's toes i think as a producer but you want you really want to get the best out of that band and i think 
maybe as well being a little longer in the tooth we're like no 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 it's we're good doesn't we're not too sensitive we want we want it to we want it to just be as fresh and as free flowing as it can be brilliant yeah and i think you can hear that yeah uh, yeah fingers crossed i think yeah i think there's he's i think he's he's definitely helped us um He's put a bit of a spring back in our step. I think. I think it was there after the break we felt like okay, we're we're good to make a new record now. Mm. So it, it felt good. I mean, even in a strange way, it's probably not a bad thing that we did it in lockdown. It it was you know it almost felt like we had more time than in a real studio. You know, I could just I could start work at eleven at night and work till two because I guess you know anyone who knows who makes music your brain just switches on at random you know it might be five in the morning or something you're mm. like why have i got these chords going through my brain <laughs> this is not right can you not wait till morning you know but uh yeah. there'd be stuff like that where you could whereas you couldn't do that in the studio you would just turn up and okay let's do guitars for two hours you know great just that that'll do that'll do great that's fine you know yeah. i think that's the weird thing about studio it's not it's not always the best performance it's like an immediate thing but it's uh when you work you know for a lot of people work at home they can really shape it maybe you got too much time at home sometimes but it's i think that's a good it worked out well because we had a little deadline for each thing you know duncan it's been an absolute pleasure there's so much stuff in here that you said that i had no idea about and it's great to learn about that stuff i mean your your career's you know been long and and successful it's great to hear about you know the inside of that yeah no thanks man i appreciate it I, 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 one thing i didn't mention that, that i should have shouted out um a friend of mine sarah shuri we're in a band called nano kino and she for me she's one of the best songwriters up here and, and i always think in an interview i can get a bit lost about talking about other stuff but um yeah check out nano kino as well because that's kind of it's just cool it's good and she's writing just mental song they're just so good you know so that started in 2012 i'm just reading yeah and it, it's kind of we've had to work yeah around maximo and around her you know she's a teacher and stuff but she um we've done shows together but yeah just just our, i guess our songwriting styles which is more like kind of early 4ad kind of vibe um yeah. cool but it, it's been tricky getting you know just just kind of we've sort of kept it going on on a real slow burner over just just doing it again it's for the love of it really so um I guess for us, it's, you know, meeting up, making some songs, sending ideas, making videos together and stuff like that. It's, it, it is this, but it's a little project that's really quiet. And I sort of think I should mention it more because it's, it is really important. And I think she's a brilliant songwriter. And founded on a love of Cocteau Twins and women. I haven't listened to women, but I, I love Cocteau Twins. Oh man, yeah. Check out check out the band Women. Is, which, which album is good to get into women? The first album is just called Women. And then... Public Strain is the follow-up, which is also great. But when the Women Women album came out, that was just like, this is great. This is awesome. This is, and, and I thought they were American at first, of course, but then found out they're Canadian. Um, and we, I remember we went to see them as a band, and um, that yeah, I think we we did get a little bit pissed with a few of them. And I, I remember, I think the drummer gave us some free T-shirts, and I still feel bad about i wish we we so if i ever see any member of women again i'm gonna pay for all the t-shirts <laughs> like the band should not have to give away their merch and i think it's just because we were so happy to see them um 
and you know i think like you know we we, we kind of hit it off with a few of them and i think just Brilliant. you know just musicians um but yeah that they they are just a yeah they're just really interesting band and then they went on i think some of them went on to do Viet Cong. So, and then you, you, bands like Cold Pumas and stuff, they did like split sevens with them. There's some, some really interesting, again, it's like you can go down a rabbit hole with that stuff. There's some really good stuff. Yeah. Great. That's some homework for me. Yeah, man. Yeah. Thank you so much. I mean, it's been four years since, since the last one, Risk to Exist. Yeah. Is, that, is there a precedent of time between Maximo Park records? Um, I think, I think that's the way, well, I think, both me and Paul did some solo stuff. He did he did an album with uh, yeah so he yeah, did his own thing. It's an album called Diagrams, and I did uh, an album called um, Outside Notion, which is just under my own name. So we we kind of we wanted to go off and just do a bit of that stuff, and I think it was just having headspace to then work out what to do again. But I, actually, we we have actually got some because of all these songs we wrote for Ben for for Ben's kind of. Do forty songs, lads. Let's see what we can do. I think um, we've got a few songs that are really good that are left over. So we may do. We're looking at doing some other release with them. Maybe something slightly different, but sooner. Um, and we've got Gemma, who's joined on keyboards. She's an amazing keyboardist. Um, so it's quite exciting because her, her singing voice goes really great with Paul. You can hear it a bit on the record. Um, Brilliant. So I think that's something we want to explore more and just. Um, you know, I think her being part of the band and a new member, that's exciting because it's new possibilities. So I think there'll be something uh, a little sooner. And I think we're looking at doing something else, which I've got to keep under my hat at the moment. But um, yeah, so there should be a little bit more stuff a little sooner. (laughs) Cool. Well, I mean, now we've got a whole new record to look forward to before all of that. So Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So hopefully hopefully people get into that and... uh, yeah, see where see where see where that takes us. Brilliant, Duncan. Thank you so much, man. Thanks. Yeah, likewise, man. Pleasure t- talking with you, man. So there we have it, Duncan Lloyd from Maximo Park here on One Hundred and One Part Time Jobs. As I said at the start of the show, if you dig it, if you dig the stories that are coming out of these people that I've got on the show, please tell your friends, please share the link, and let's grow this together. Thanks so much for listening. Here's Cox Sparrow. I've been working all day for me mate on the side Running around like a blue-ass fly I've been working, yeah, I've been working all day for me mate Every blink of me, I've been on the go This is a Mighty Moon Media Podcast.